Welcome to my podcast, Musings of a Christian Philosopher, where we talk about deep and often challenging topics of theology and philosophy. I'm your host, Adam Polstra. Let's get started. Good day, listeners. It's been a few weeks now. I've been absent because I had a move going on, and I needed to handle both that and settling in for quite a while. And I find that when I've got my mind focused on that kind of a thing, thinking philosophically can be a challenge. Or perhaps I simply divert my energies entirely into whatever I'm doing and leave the philosophy behind for a little bit. Personally, I think it's a pretty good habit, but yes, the podcast has been on pause. Anyway, but since I am at this point settled in pretty well, I've been starting to think philosophically again. And what my mind has been settling on, at least among the more thorough topics, is the question of what makes an expert. And of course, one of the reasons why I'm considering this question is because I myself am not professional in the sense or expert in the sense of having gone to a university or even studied the great the yeah, the great philosophers of the past, such as Plato and Aristotle and so on, instead I've gotten their philosophy secondhand through those who have studied them, but are also more modern philosophers, theologians, psychologists, and the like, who studied their material and then have delivered it through their orations, their books, etc., so given, of course, that I don't have any sort of the normal qualifications to be a philosopher, is it possible for me to be an expert? And I can't find any rational reason to believe that I'm not at this point, specifically because I found that I can run circles around the so-called experts in pretty much every one of those fields. Certainly not all the time, and I'm still an understudy to a number of people, much to my delight. I would rather not have, <laughs> I would rather not not have those who are still ahead of me or better than me in certain areas. Therefore, I have certain things that I can learn. And those people could be ones that are still alive or dead. To study under somebody is simply a sign of the wisdom of humility. And the fact that you are continuing to learn, which means you are not stagnating and not falling back. But for example, among those so-called experts, I've found philosophers who believe, for example, that clear mind frames of insanity that have lost, lost grasp of reality in general should be respected and loved and cared about because acceptance and tolerance are so good etc., etc., in and of themselves. And this is very clearly just a sign of being influenced by the modern times, rather than by a pursuit of wisdom and truth, which is what philosophy should be about, or about mental health, which is what psychology should be about. In the theological circles, there is the common belief that women have a better relationship with God than men. I grew up hearing this stuff. That is quite clearly merely the Christian version or the church version of the political ploy that the patriarchy is evil and therefore women, the underdogs, are good 
and we should be learning from the women and we should not be so bad as men and so on and so forth, whatever the heck they say. The Christians and the churches have simply assimilated this and turned it into this general idea that women have better relationships with God than men. And lo and behold, men aren't nearly so interested in being at church, and it becomes a mere self-fulfilling prophecy. I consider these things trash. And in getting in debates with these people, I can talk circles around them, and I can reason around them several times before they even come to the realization that they want to reject my ideas. Anyway... Going back to the main point, what is it that does make an expert? Most people in our society today would begin answering with such things as you need to go to higher education, you need to study under a professor, you need to get a degree. And my response is, well, that yes may get you acknowledgement as a quote expert in professional fields and giving you the possibility to make money through that, quote, professionalism, it doesn't really necessarily have anything to do with actually being good at the craft. See, what one does when studying under professors and going into university is studying and going through tests and memorizing knowledge, etc., etc., so that you can get a signed piece of paper from another, quote, professional and expert who himself went through the same process to get another signed piece of paper under a so-called expert on and on up the line. What guarantee do we have that that process keeps to the integrity of the craft of the expertise in any fashion whatsoever? How easy is it for that to be corrupted? I just got, gave some examples of how that might be. For Christians, we've seen that the entire realm of expertise, not just in science, but in some philosophy and a great deal of psychology, has given in to the idea of biological macroevolution. And Christians in general, but not on the whole, believe that this is complete and utter nonsense. And we have seen that transition, of course, among Christians, we still study the past of America in which theological perspectives of the development of Earth and of biological organisms was the process by which we arrived to today. Not denying, I don't think, ever the idea of microevolution, that biological organisms can adapt to their environment, but not this idea of one species evolving into an entirely different species. But because this has taken over the philosophical, psychological, and scientific narratives of the entire West, we believe, as many, of, as many Christians, that we are being taught complete hogwash, and it's called higher education. In fact, we see in universities... Our perspective is that children are being entirely propagandized and that the idea of evolution being espoused as foundational science is merely because it's popular, not because it's necessarily true. And there's been a great deal of work done from those who are no longer considered by many to be experts 
along the lines of science to prove that creationism and a young earth is in fact true. Now, I personally don't necessarily align with either one of these perspectives. I think it is up for debate, and I'm here rather for the debate rather than to simply settle it based on personal biases. Anyway, my point being, there is no necessary defense against every field of expertise keeping its integrity and keeping its link to the truth, to the purity that it may have started out with or maybe even didn't. Science itself started out with a mixture of those who did not and those who did believe in God. And today it's conceived to be a field in which if you believe in God, you're a bit of a bungling fool. And if you don't, you can be accepted among the, quote, experts. And that, by the way, is anti-scientific. If you, as a scientist, reject any theory, no matter how valid, how well-researched, how much actual science is done in the process of that research, if you reject it simply on the, on the grounds that the scientist, quote-unquote, in your mind, who is giving you the research is a theologian also, believes in God, then you're not really conducting science. There's a well-known phrase, beware the one hand raised. The concept being that if anybody has a legitimate objection, they're worth hearing. We have largely abandoned that concept in science today, much more so in the current atmosphere of science, which really just serves politics and the current political and socioeconomic standards by which we, I think, in quite a bit of error, live. So going back, what is it that makes an expert? How easy is it to corrupt the process? In my opinion, every process that has been taken over, not by the, pro not by the pure idea of whatever that expertise is, but rather by human concession, human-generated human processes, universities, the signing of acclaimed papers with golden stickers, the okay given to a student or somebody who is graduating by the, quote, experts of the past generation. These kinds of processes may keep a sort of conservatism, but they also put human ego into the process of an expertise. They're not seeking necessarily the pure practice of a trade or of an intellectual art or anything. Rather, they pass you, at least in part, on the basis of their own biases. Now, those biases might run theologically, they might run atheistically, they might run liberally, they might run conservatively. I don't really care which. In my opinion, a great deal of seminary has been corrupted in exactly the same way. In fact, I think seminary is the Protestant version of the church authority believed in by Catholics and I believe Eastern Orthodox as well. In all three of these examples, we see a shining and shining in a rather horrible light example of human beings taking, o taking over the process of understanding God.
and understanding theology and the moral law as given in the scripture. Paul talked about the new kingdom being a kingdom of priests, and we have set up professionals, quote unquote, priests, the church, mother church, etc., etc., and every major branch of Christianity corrupting, in my opinion, the whole process of understanding God by basically putting barriers around it, having guards at the posts of every branch of Christianity telling us whether or not we're following the correct way. Now, I don't mean to imply that every university or every seminary or every church, etc., etc., has actually been corrupted. What I am saying is that every single instance in which I have seen a human institution take over an expertise and begin to set itself up as the standard by which you shall be confirmed as an expert or a professional has always corrupted that process. Why? Because we are looking to human authority rather than the thing itself. It could be plumbing, it could be heating and air conditioning, it could be construction, architecture, it could be science, it could be theology, it could be philosophy. So, how is one to become an expert actually? In my opinion, there is only one way, but it is also a way that anybody could do. And especially today with access to so much knowledge through the internet, through YouTube, what have you, it is remarkably possible. If you start with a passion and a talent and then begin to pursue some sort of expertise, be it intellectual, be it labor, heck, be it becoming a parent or a midwife, and you find further that, again, you actually do have the talent, which sometimes only comes through attempting to do the thing itself. And then giving it time and time and time, work and work and work. I've talked before about the fact it is uh, said, I believe, that in order to become an expert in something, you need to give it 10,000 hours. In order to become a professional, you need 20,000 hours in that craft. Now, of course, we may discover with only 500 hours that we're not really cut out for it. Great. Move on to something else. Move on to something you're more cut out for. Or maybe it's something you have to do, but nevertheless, you're not that great at it. Well, continue to do it, but don't give all of your, all of your energy to it. But in many cases, the attempt... And the failure in that attempt is not a bad thing. It's a wonderful thing. It can guide us on to the next drive, to the next skill we want to pursue or expertise. And just reading books or just talking to people or just listening to experts or only listening to your mentors or whatever is not sufficient. We have to be doing the whole thing. I, as a philosopher and one who continues to pursue philosophy, do not do enough just by talking to experts, reading their books, etc., thinking about it. I also have to talk to just people 
and see if it actually works. See if the ideas that I am presenting to people make sense in their heads, and then when they put it into practice, it actually works. If I haven't passed those kinds of tests, then I'm not doing good philosophy. See, one of the reasons why, quote, experts, particularly in the intellectual fields, use all of this complex jargon and lingo that people outside don't understand is simply a way of shielding the fact that they have no idea what they're actually doing. Or, to put it another way, that their craft has become so useless that it can't be applied to people in their everyday lives right here and now. They've so separated from everyday life in order to further pursue their expertise that it has no practical use anymore whatsoever. So they try to sound impressive with all of this complex jargon, with all of these polysyllabic terms, to try to shield themselves from the fact that their craft has become useless. What good would a plumber be if all he did was work on the ceiling where no plumbing is? But, he, but you ask him, what the heck are you doing? Why are you working on the ceiling? You're a plumber. He says, oh, no, no. Plumbing has come a long way. We now have figured out how to do plumbing in the ceiling. We don't need to even touch the pipes in the rest of the house, in the walls, in the basement, near the boilers, etc., etc. All we have to do is work things in the ceiling, and everything will do just fine. Would you pay that plumber? No, you'd probably try to get him sued for damages to your house. But that is something like what a lot of the intellectual arts have become. We no longer try to study what will actually help people in their everyday lives among the quote-unquote professionals, the quote-unquote experts. And we just uselessly have our heads in the clouds. Thinking about metaphysics, thinking about Higgs boson layers, and so on and so forth. And by the way, I don't think that, that researching the Higgs boson layer is completely useless in and of itself, but if it doesn't do anything for the common everyday person, then all you're really doing is navel-gazing. That could be part of your craft, just as for me, philosophy, part of my, in philosophy, part of my craft is thinking about things that are of no practical use to people in their everyday lives whatsoever. But those ideas should eventually disseminate down to concepts that actually help people. When we used to do good science, that's what led to some of our greatest inventions. It inspired engineers and creative people to begin designing things on the basis of some of the scientific capabilities and scientific research that we had and create things that could do things in the real world that we never could do before. Now, some of those processes continue on today, but it's not because the integrity of science has been upheld. In and of itself, it is so separated from real everyday life, talking about climate change and the fact that any gender can become anything at once, and it's proven by the science and so on. It's become propaganda. It has become a cult. And it is of no use to people whatsoever. In fact, it damages people. It has become subservient to the cultural norms and the political goals. 
so also with philosophy, so also with psychology. Are you aware that since psychotropic drugs have been introduced to the populace, psychological health has only gone down? Whether or not the psychotropic drugs actually help or not is not the question that I'm raising right now. But what I am saying is that that too is evidence the psychology has separated itself from any actual utility to everyday people. So what it takes to actually be an expert is a combination of a great deal of time and work and work and time from a person who is passionate, who has talent in the area, and is able to apply those things to everyday life. It could even be art. It covers everything as far as I have figured out as I have been thinking through these things. It should apply, it should connect, it should inspire, it should teach anyone, everyone possibly, or everyone could possibly be taught or inspired or invigorated in their everyday lives. You're not ever going to be able to reach everyone. No artist, even if they are very good in the, at their craft, is going to please everyone with their pieces. No musician is going to please everyone with their chords and their notes and their singing. Not every philosopher is going to get, going to get the listening ear of every person. But if it cannot inspire, invigorate, help in a practical sense like plumbing or heating and air conditioning or whatever, if it cannot apply to the everyday person, then I don't see any reason to believe that it is of any use whatsoever, and I do not refer to that person as an expert or a professional. I may, for the, sake, for the sake of politeness, refer to somebody with a degree as an expert because they did at least put in the effort, they did at least put in the work. But if I begin to get into a conversation with such a person in a field that I have become an expert and a professional in, and though they have the papers and I don't, if they are revealed as somebody who has no practical use to an everyday person whatsoever, it's not an expert. That is not a professional. What use is expertise and professionalism unless it can serve others. When is it that we lost grasp of this idea? So, with that, I think I am done for today. I hope it's given you a lot to think about, and maybe even will change the way that you pursue your craft. I'm not saying that nobody should go to university or anything like that. I'm simply trying to show you how to filter these ideas and how to determine whether or not somebody is an expert or isn't and whether or not you becoming an expert. Talk to you next time.